Well, if I have a quiz, my friend, I have a quiz for you. So just, you know, like, I remember last week. Yeah. It's it's not a revenge quiz by any chance, by any stretch, but it's a quiz. So Okay. <laughs> Alright. Okay. Hey everybody, Eric Grenier here. Welcome to this episode of The Numbers. I'm joined as always by my friend Philippe J. Fournier, who is in Ottawa now. He's not in Montreal. He's in the center of the political universe. Philip, how you doing? That's right. I decided before my uh, the semester, the Cégep semester started, I needed to meet some people in Ottawa. So I took a fancy hotel and uh, having drinks and, you know, just uh, being in the on, on the edge of power here, just visiting. So I'm uh, very glad to see you, Eric. Um, uh, we have lots to talk about, right? Uh, the, for for an early year podcast, we have some numbers to uh, to dissect you and I. Yeah, and we, and I wasn't sure what we would have today, but uh, we got uh, treated with uh, a new poll from Abacus Data. So we're recording this on on Thursday, as we always do, and Abacus has their new numbers out um, that are going to, I think, kind of change a little bit of how people are looking at the beginning of the year because uh, this survey, which was done really, you know, in January. So it's the first poll that we have that is done after the new year. Right. Uh, we've had some nanos polling that includes a few days of, you know, 2024, but it's mostly still before Christmas. Uh, so the poll had 41% for the Conservatives, 24% for the Liberals, and 18% for the NDP. Uh, so the 10-point gap that Abacus had just before Christmas is now a 17-point gap again. Mm. Uh, what was your reaction to seeing this? Because David Coletto, he kind of, you know, he kind of teased that he had uh, yeah. some some changes coming, and and then clearly they did. Well, often when we have an an outlier, we don't know it's an outlier until later, right? Or sometimes we have new numbers that are a bit shocking. You say, "Oh, hang on here, what is this?" So we understand you and I and our listeners understand that there can be fluctuations in the polls. Um, but the thing is, in December, Leger had also had a, a 10-point gap between the Liberals and the Conservatives, same as Abacus. So is this just a, a blip? This is just a sample issue? Is this, I mean, has something happened uh, in the past two weeks, be, you know, families getting together, talking about politics during the Christmas time. Uh, I am not sure, but um, I think this, as you said, the narrative goes back to what we had in November if Abacus is confirmed by, by, by later polls. But uh, no good news for the liberals. And if you take a look at the regionals uh, that are available on the Abacus Data website, um, there are no good news anywhere for the liberals. Uh, they're they're just bad across the board, um, so they're and they're also not unusual. You know, no. like I, when I saw that this this poll was coming out, seventeen point lead. I was like, I wonder if any of the regionals look odd, and that's why there's been this big shift. But they're all pretty normal looking. Yeah, obviously, like some of them are a little bit higher or lower than some other polls, but it, it's more consistent. It's not like all of it happened in BC or all of it happened in Alberta or anything like that. And it's a little bit of an interesting thing because this happened when Abacus came out. In December, right? They were the first ones to show that the gap was getting tighter. And we had the podcast that we were wondering whether this is the beginning of a new trend or just a blip. We saw some polls subsequently that more or less confirmed that uh, at least in the 
mid to end December period, it looked like we were more in the 10 to 15 point gap. And now we have this new poll coming out that, again, is reverting um, sort of where things were before. Are we going to see other pollsters follow in this way? Or is this going to, uh, you know, be the one that has the bigger conservative gap and then subsequent polls over the next few weeks show still again that 10 to 15? Because if it is 10 to 15, it's not unusual to have a 17 point gap for the conservatives. But we are again... And Abacus is driving the uh, driving the discussion once again, waiting to see if these numbers are going to be confirmed by other ones uh, in the coming coming days, coming weeks. The numbers in BC are quite astonishing. Not just Abacus's, but all the numbers in BC. The, I mean, usually when we have fluctuations in polls, it's because of sample size. It's because of small sample size. And BC is about, what, 13% of Canada's population. So it's normal to have a small sample size. But this is way overboard. I mean, Leger had the Liberals, I, I think, close to the 30% mark. Same thing for Nanos in British Columbia. And you have this abacus that I think it was it's 19% for the Liberals. 19, I mean, yep. there's a huge difference <laughs> between being almost at 30 or below 20 uh, in the province of British Columbia. We're talking about dozens of seats, basically, for, for uh, the Liberals. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder what's going on. Is BC that hard uh, a province to pull? Uh, I remember provincially hmm. in 2020, the polls were pretty good in the uh, provincial election. Um, so I don't know. Um, I um, I am a bit uh, surprised to see this. Uh, it's because I can't really explain it. But then again, maybe it was the 10-point gap that was an unexplained feature. Because this is, if you remove the December polls, this is just continuity of what we saw in the late fall. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, no good news. And... You have to wonder again. I know. I know. We we flipped the script uh, in December, but you have to wonder if if it's not a ten to twelve point lead, but a seventeen eighteen point lead for the conservatives. How sustainable this will be for liberals throughout twenty twenty four. If those numbers stay the same in the winter and the spring, and we get to summer, at some point you're thinking they have to make a change, uh, like a change at the top. Um, because otherwise they, they could be sleepwalking into a rout there. So. It, it is a little bit of the opposite of what had happened in the December poll, because most of the indicators in that poll suggested that if anything had happened, it was because support for the Conservatives had dropped. We saw that it was primarily driven by the Conservatives. It wasn't that uh, Justin Trudeau's numbers were improving or anything like that. Exactly. But then this time, we are seeing that it might actually be driven a little bit more by the Liberals because Justin Trudeau's own personal impression, his positive ratings, uh, his positives dropped to 25%, which is as low as they've ever been. It only hit 25% once before. And his negatives are now 59%, which is the highest they've been. Uh, It could be a coincidence. I wonder if part of it could be the uh, vacation in Jamaica, which, um, you know, Every it seems like the liberals begin every year with something like this, um, so it could have been something you know related to that. But at the same time, we also saw with Pierre Poilievre's numbers in the Abacus poll that his numbers got a bit better. Um, so that you know it could just be a reversion to you know where things were before. Uh, but it makes it now something to watch again, right? Oh yeah. Oh, Over the definitely. last couple of weeks, it's been. A poll comes out, Nanos comes out, a Spark put out the numbers, and it's the same, like I said, 10, 15 point gap. 
and so nothing much new. But now it's now we're once again really curious to see what the what the next poll is going to show. Eighteen percent for the Liberals in a, among younger voters. Third place, distant third place behind the Conservatives and the NDP. Uh, Abacus sees also a correlation between liberal support and age, but you know even if it grows, liberal support grows with the age groups. Uh, they're still behind and by double digits everywhere. Uh, 60 yeah. uh, years old and over, 30% for liberals, but 42 for the conservatives. That's just, I mean, this poll is, we're going back to the 200 plus seats for the conservatives, if it were the, 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 you know, the, the, the final poll of a, of a, of a campaign. Um, but also, I mean, a word on, on the NDP, Eric. Uh, 18% is terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the worst polls recently. Yeah. 18, 18% is also terrible for a party that 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 should benefit again from from the, 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 the this this slide from the Liberals. And I look at the numbers from Ontario, 20%, BC is 26. So they 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 seem to be okay in those two provinces compared to previous results, but there's no gains. And so what we're seeing here, even I, I look at Manitoba and Saskatchewan, we've see, we've been used to have higher numbers, 23% in Manitoba, Saskatchewan. Again, small sample, but we've mm-hmm. seen this from many pollsters. Uh, and um, in Quebec, again, you know, the, the conservatives bump in Quebec seems to be gone. The 22% is a good result for the conservatives, but we had seen it in the fall and uh, late fall, uh, 25, 26, 27 goes down to 22. So if the conservatives manage to reach 40% support without gains in Quebec, ooh, that map is going to be dark blue. It is interesting to see they're at 22% in Quebec and then their next worst province is Ontario at 41%. That's a big <laughs> gap between those two, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Um, so they're still having trouble breaking through in Quebec. Uh, the block is ahead uh, by six points there. So, yeah, like you said, no, no good numbers for the Liberals in these polls. Uh, lots of good numbers for the Conservatives. And uh, I guess we'll wait and see uh, what's going to come out uh, in the next couple, couple of days. This being the newest poll, I feel like it's the one that we should probably yeah. uh, focus on. The Nanos one's coming out. You know, again, like I said, it's a bit of a trailing indicator. When it was the only numbers that we were seeing over the holidays, it was just kind of confirming what we had seen from other polls. Uh, but now we need to wait and see what uh, Nanos <laughs> is going to show uh, in maybe two weeks, two, three weeks, right? So that's yep. the uh, uh, the bit of the problem for it. Um, there was also an, one poll that came out from uh, Liaison Polling uh, Strategies um, just on Toronto, right. uh, focusing in on Toronto. I don't know if you had any thoughts on those numbers, Um Obviously, well, it's, a, it's just a, a focus in one particular region, but um, some interesting numbers there as well. They can, those numbers can be helpful when we model, especially when we have a hyper-local. I mean, they, they broke down the poll by regions of Toronto. Uh, I don't think there are many surprises. Uh, of course, I, you know, I'm trying to think, being in the liberal war room and seeing those Etobicoke numbers, uh, those, those, I mean, also um, uh, Scarborough, where the liberals have performed yeah. very well in past, uh, past cycles. Uh, worrying trend, I, I don't know, I, I find it interesting, but I did not see anything that really stood out. Did you? Uh, did you see something there? Well, I mean, it still stands out to me that the liberals still have strong support in Toronto. Right. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. they've dropped from the last election, but 
you're looking at these numbers and, you know, their worst place is Etobicoke with 30% and it goes up to over 40% in North York. So they're still able to do pretty well. And because they won a lot of those seats in Scarborough and Etobicoke uh, by big margins, yeah. even these swings might not be enough to uh, to overcome them. You, you look at these numbers, I kind of t- looked at it by each section of the city and then comparing it to the results of the last election. And the Liberals still win about 16, 15, 16 seats in Toronto. Yeah. Um, so it's remarkable how much they have a bit of a cushion there. Uh, it'll be a question how, you know, obviously these are smaller samples when you're talking about the parts of a city. Uh, but it, it is interesting to see. And, and I'll be curious to see what's going to happen in Etobicoke because that is one of the weirder regions because it is really where those four Trudeau voters are because one of the best ridings the Liberals have in Toronto is Etobicoke North, which is Doug Ford's riding. Uh, And uh, (laughs) Kirstie Duncan would win that with 60%. Now, I don't know if they're going to be able to still win that if she's not running again. Uh, We'll see what happens. She's been having health issues. Uh, But, you know, is that going to hold? Are the Liberals going to be able to hold on to that vote when you have someone like Pierre Poilievre's coming in, that will appeal to the Doug Ford voters, yeah. right? So yeah. um, we'll we'll get a little taste of it in the upcoming by-election Toronto-St. Oh, Paul's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when I looked at these numbers, it, 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 the Conservatives don't seem to have made the kind of gain that they would need in the part of the city to, to flip Toronto-St. Paul's. But we'll see what kind of movement there'll be uh, when that by-election is called within the next six months. That's an in- interesting observation, Eric. But I have to say... It- I when I saw this poll, I didn't think about what's going on in Toronto. I thought about what's going on in the rest of Ontario. I mean, if the Liberals go from twenty-five to sixteen seats in in Toronto, mm. what do they win in the rest of the province? <laughs> I mean, what's the total there? The whole province, maybe twenty-five, a few seats in Ottawa, a few in the north. I mean, they they need this voting block that was so reliable for them. And now it's it's uh, the, the foundations are, are, are cracking, and uh, I don't know if 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 the Liberals don't run uh, the table or almost run the table in Toronto, they they will get completely crushed in Ontario. They're not winning many seats in southwestern Ontario. Uh, the seats that they did win in Hamilton and Niagara Falls and Saint Catharines, those were close results. And if you extrapolate the, the, the poll numbers that we have in Ontario, the, the, the Liberals lose these seats. Um, they, they lose also uh, what they had the, the little gains that they had in Windsor. Um, now, of course, there's still like the Kitchener, the Londons that we'll have to look at, but but um, still small pickings. And so, eesh, um, this <laughs> are they going to hold those? That's that's the question. Southwestern Ontario, the Ontario Liberals are so unpopular there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Trudeau and the Trudeau Liberals have been able to withstand sort of the anti-liberal kind of movement in southwestern Ontario, yeah. uh, will they be able to hold on to the Londons and the Kitcheners? Uh, because if they lose those and they lose a lot of seats in the GTA, and as you said, they're they're reduced just to Toronto and Ottawa, yeah, that's that's 25 seats in Ontario, and yeah, that's and it. And also, uh, you know, if you lose six points in Quebec compared to the past elections, that means that you don't win anything outside of Montreal, Laval, and Gatineau. Uh, we see the numbers in Atlantic Canada. So what's left? Downtown Winnipeg and a few in Vancouver. Is that is that 50, 60 seats in the whole country for the Liberals? Ooh. So again, I know it's only a few points, but our system is such that 
a few points mm-hmm. could go to a, 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 an honorable defeat to a crushing defeat. Uh, the numbers we saw in December felt like, okay, the Liberals would lose an election if it were held right now, would lose an election with those numbers, but they would, you know, Trudeau would leave the party in reasonable good shape. Um, if the <laughs> if next election Liberals only win 50 or 60 seats in the whole country, ooh, uh, it, it could take a, a long time to rebuild that. So Yeah, lots of work for Mark Kearney. Um, <laughs> so. We'll talk about that at some point, I'm sure. Um, I wanted to talk about another poll um, that came out that isn't really about Canadian politics. It's about American politics, but it was done uh, among Canadians. It was a poll by uh, Spark Insights, which is Bruce Anderson's uh, outfit. And it was just asking if you're voting in the U.S. election and you had to choose between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, who would you vote for? So I, I they took out the undecideds, I, I imagine, from this poll. This was done just at the end of December. And 67% for Joe Biden, 33% for Donald Trump. Biden would win every region that was tested here. The closest race was in uh, Alberta, where it was 58 to 42 for Joe Biden. Uh, what I find interesting about this, the, it was framed that it was closer than you might think, which I'm not sure is, 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 is the case, because these would all make Canada some of the safest democratic states in yeah. the country, like uh, yeah. even Al- Alberta, a 58% support for Joe Biden. Uh, you know, puts it in, you know, pretty comfortable oh, yeah. states no one thinks would, would flip in the next election, right? So Canadians are still uh, uncomfortable with Donald Trump in a way that separates them from the United States, even though 33% might seem uh, pretty high when you consider that in the United States, only, you know, 45% or so of, of Americans say they would vote for, for uh, Donald Trump right now. There's obviously the undecideds and the, and the third-party people. But did you have any thoughts when you saw these numbers? Um, yeah, because I remember I had commissioned a question from a Leger Omnibus in 2020 during the presidential election. I think it was October of 2020. Uh, I, I published uh, when I wrote for McLean's. And uh, it was the exact same question. It, it, hypothetical, of course, if you could vote, yeah. who would you vote for? And uh, uh, the numbers were closer to 80-20 than to 67-33. Uh, uh, and the breakdown by party support in Canada was similar, but I remember the CPC base, it was 60-40. Now it's 50-50. Mm. Um, yeah. And of course, the CPC base has grown since um, 2020. Uh, so you look at those numbers, the men from 18 to 44, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. The men from 18 to 44, it's 52 Biden, 48 Trump. Um, so yeah, there's something's going on. Um, because we know of course that Trump is far, far more popular with men. He projects himself as a big alpha guy, uh, and, uh, full of testosterone, <laughs> Uh, and it can appeal to, to you know, tranches of the population, especially young men. Uh, but half of men in this country below the age of 45 would vote for Trump if they could. Uh, you, have to, you have to wonder what effect will that have, especially now. I mean, in October 2020, we didn't know as much about Trump and the Trump movement. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> with everything that we saw since, the fact that his support has grown in Canada... Uh, for me is uh, is something 
to watch and something that I would say is worrying. Not that Biden has covered himself in glory, but I think I don't think that's the point here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, d- democracy. Look, we we don't need to beat around the bush here. Donald Trump has said said things over the last few months that more or less suggest he would be happy to uh, you know uh, violate the Constitution that once he becomes the president that Stay he forever. would get revenge on, on yeah. the people who he feels wronged him that people would be. Uh, put up on charges of treason like this is not like normal stuff right so we shouldn't pretend that that, that it is um and it you're, it is kind of remarkable that he's at the the kind of numbers that he is among certain segments of the population and it makes me think that uh the the information siloing that we have happening in the country i think is really kind of displayed here because this means to me, that there's a lot of Americanization of, of politics in Canada, oh, yeah. of uh, media, social media, that kind of thing, so that there's people within Canada that are getting a lot of their media from the United States, which will have a different kind of take on uh, this divide, right? Because Trump is even or ahead in the polls with Joe Biden, and he's not here, uh, but there's a segment of the population that is following American politics as if they are Americans, right? Watching, you know, Fox News and and places like that, right? So uh, you do wonder how much of an impact this has on politics here. Because if you're Pierre Poiliev, obviously, if your view is that you want to moderate yourself to get more centrist voters, then clearly you need to not be close to Donald Trump, right? 33% is not a winning score in Canada. Uh, unless you're Justin Trudeau and it's a minority government. But uh, if his supporters, half of his supporters, think Donald Trump is okay, uh, how does Pierre Poilev feel about it? Like deep down in his core, right? Because I do think that he is a very, uh, he is an expression, a reflection of the conservative movement as it is right now. So eventually some of these things might become awkward for uh, Poilev if he has to you know, talk about whatever's happening in the United States, because uh, I don't think it's going to get better, uh, calmer, uh, you know, (laughs) once we get close to the election and if Donald Trump wins, right? Yeah. Uh, What actions he'll take in the first days that he's president, these kinds of things. Uh, Can't ignore what the the impact this is going to have as much as as, uh, some people would like to. It's right next door. And I know there were some many comments I I read, of course, uh, American media. There were op-eds saying, "Okay, what's going on in Colorado and Maine trying to kick off, uh, kick uh, Donald Trump off the ballot? No, it should be up to voters, not to the courts. Well, hang on a minute. Uh, (laughs) In 2020, the voters voted against Donald Trump and he never recognized the the, the results. So, I mean, it's up to voters. No, voters did speak about that. So and when you Mm -hmm. when somebody violates the law and there's a judge in front of you that sentences you, you don't go to a vote to the population. No, the the law. I mean, the judiciary is part of the government It's part of. So but we are I mean. I think it's hard to, to 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 for us to go into this without doing uh, editorials, and I don't want to go mm. into that. But the numbers that we see regarding the cost of living and the housing and the interest rates, and the fact that there's so much growing anger in this country, this is what leads. I mean, academics 
I studied this. This is what leads to populism. This is what leads to people saying, I'm going to believe that savior. Whatever he says, he hates the same people that I hate. Then therefore, you know, he's a good guy and I'll vote for him. There, there are no solutions. Populists don't have solutions. They have slogans, but they have good ones. And since th this is a failure, failure for me of the political class. If you don't deliver, people will revolt. It was true of kings. It was true of sultans. It was true of emperors. It's still true in a democratic world. But um, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Let's. Uh, this is too depressing. Let's uh, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Unless you have more to say, I, I want to hear what you have to say. But yeah, no, no. I think I think you're right, and it, I mean, this is what is really happening in the United States. That uh, you know, one of the reasons why it is as close as it is as it is between the two um, two candidates, it's in part because. Joe Biden is seen as being not a very good and successful president, which then puts him in a contest with uh, Donald Trump. Bingo. You know, if, I think that you see some of the other polls where you have some of the other Republican candidates and often Joe Biden does not very well against them. Um, you know, so this is a reflection that if when you do have to choose between the alternatives, some people will balance um, things that have to do with their own personal lives versus you know, bigger, grander questions about democracy and the rule of law and things mm. like that. And when people get desperate enough, that's that's what happens. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I, I you, you know, you can't normalize. I, I don't think uh, some of the stuff that's been coming out uh, in past elections wouldn't have been accepted. But uh, the the window has moved so much that uh, that a lot of what passes for. Uh, uh, Political discussion now um, is seen as okay, and it wouldn't have been uh, a little while ago. And that's sad. I, okay, I, I so why don't we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Yeah. Okay, no, yes. Yes, yes, yes. What did you say? What, no, what did you talk I was Come just, on. well, I think is I remember talking to, uh, to uh, political science uh, professors, and uh, he told me, you know, there's, there's no actual data that proves that the rule of law that we have and democracies is the equilibrium state of history like like the whole world led to this it doesn't mean it's the end state um democracy has is not the natural state it has to be constantly worked for and preserved and fought for um and if people lose faith in the system they'll want to change the system even if it's some you know even if it's leads us to dark places it, you know it's the system that we have right now is dark for a lot of people It, you know, right. so there is, there is la de la misère in, in rich countries, which should not happen. But so, yeah, that's that's all I have to say about that. From a uh, important topic to an even more important topic, <laughs> I did want to mark that we have a few by-elections <laughs> happening in Atlantic Canada, which yes. is. Um, You know, and and we're not going to go too much into it. Maybe we'll talk about when the results come in, because that's when we can kind of look at what's happening. But there's a provincial by-election happening in Newfoundland and Labrador on January 29th in Conception Bay East, Bell Island. It's a PC seat. Uh, it was David Brazil, who is the former interim leader, who is not running again now that they have a permanent leader. And then in PI on February 5th, there's a by-election in Borden-Kincora. Again, a PC riding. Uh, this is Jamie Foxx, uh, not that Jamie Foxx, but <laughs> he is uh, going to be the conservative candidate in the PI riding of Mal Peck. So he wow. vacated his provincial seat. Um, so we got two by-elections coming up. I don't think either of them are really that kind of 
know, earth-shattering ones because they're both relatively safe seats for the PCs. Um, but did you have any thoughts on either of these by-elections coming up? Uh, not really, except that uh, I think it's honorable for the, the, the PEI uh, candidate to, knowing that he will run for the federal conservatives, to quit early. Usually they don't, right? They keep their jobs until they, you know, they don't have to. I thought, I think that's interesting. It, maybe it shows that he can go without a salary for, uh, for a little while. But um, but good for him. I mean, I I kind of like that. Uh, those politicians that sometimes that hop jobs between you know municipal, provincial, federal, um, but they keep their current job just in case. Um, yeah, I understand the security part of it, but um, it, I think it, it feels more sincere anyway. But I know I it, it, those should be safe conservative or progressive conservatives writings, unless there's a huge surprise. Yeah, Borden Kincora and PI is just uh, about a year after the last election, so really, you know, not too much going on. But in Conception Bay, East Bell Island, uh, the Newfoundland election is scheduled for next year. Right. And the PCs do have a new leader in Tony Wakeham, so it is a little bit of a test for him um, as the new leader. And what's interesting is there is the can- one of the candidates running is an independent who was the PC uh, president of the district association. And he felt that they were strong-armed to have the candidate that is the PC candidate. So he's running as an independent. He seems also to be somewhat of a controversial figure, but maybe that'll split the PC vote. Anyway, once the results come in, because we like results and numbers, we'll we'll (laughs) chat about them a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, We got a couple questions. So the mailbag, of course, we ask our... Patrons, people who are, are supporters of the podcast, which you can become at the numberspod.ca. They can ask questions on Patreon. They can ask questions on the Discord. Last week, we said we would talk about the electoral reform questions we got over the holidays. I want to save that for next week because yeah. that'll be a, a patrons-only episode, and they're really interested in electoral reform, so oh, yeah. we'll save that, those questions <laughs> for them. Um, but we got a few ones that were, were pretty interesting. We got one from Danny on the Discord. He asked, is there anyone on the radar who would be an obvious choice to replace Jagmeet Singh as NDP leader? We just said 18% in the abacus poll, not a great number. I don't think he's going anywhere, yeah. uh, but you never know. Um, who, is there anybody that comes to mind for you? Well, here's the thing. Somebody that could realistically win or somebody who would be a good leader? Because those are different questions, right? Uh, the NDP, as far as we I know... We can have answers for both, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, the NDP, as far as I know, still has a one-vote-one-member um, system. Yeah. Uh, they don't have a point system or a regional system. Uh, so it's whoever can just have the most new members, you know, sign up membership cards. Uh, I, I always... I, I thought Charlie Ingus would be an interesting candidate. I'm not sure he's that interested in the job, although I, I haven't chatted with him about this. Uh, but... Um, I don't know. Uh, it's it's it's. I don't have an answer for this. I, I I'm sorry. It's a boring answer. It's just there is right now. There are no stars in the NDP right now. Um, there should be. You know, there's 25 of them. Yeah, 25 of them. Um, but there's nobody that obvious. I mean, the question is would be yeah, an obvious question, choice. And obvious. That's, I don't see yeah. somebody obvious. Charlie Angus springs to mind. Uh, but uh, what about you? I mean, do you do you see anybody in the wings waiting? Uh, yeah, like when we talk about obvious, uh, there isn't that obvious candidate. Now there wasn't an obvious candidate when um, Tom Mulcair steps aside. Yeah. Um, when Jack Layton did, you know, Tom Mulcair, I guess, might have been seen as a as a kind of it made sense at the time, but. Yeah. 
There's no one like that. I mean, in terms of like who would run, you know, you would think of someone like Peter Julian who had considered running before. Yeah. Uh, I think he got into the race in 2017 and then he dropped out, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, he speaks French. You know, he's someone you could imagine who would run. But is he someone that would galvanize members, sign up lots of people? I don't know. Uh, and then when you think about like other figures, you know, they it would be... I think it would be terrific for the NDP if they could get someone like Wab Canoe, who, again, speaks French, um, you know, seems to have charisma and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> there's no chance that's happening. He's just got a pretty good job as being Manitoba Premier. Yeah. Uh, there's just no one that's obvious. There's no obvious successor, which is one of the reasons why <clears throat> there might not be a lot of pressure to get rid of Jagmeet Singh. Yeah. Because they're not really, it's just like with the Liberals. They don't know who the replacement would be. So trading in a leader is a great idea. Unless your replacement is worse, so I think that would be. The, the, I'm the sure. There. I'm sure somebody is listening to this right now and is screaming Rachel Notley. Uh, it, <laughs> I just, I, 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 I don't, I don't see it. Um, we didn't. You didn't mention her. Uh, I didn't either. Uh, I'm mentioning her, her now. Uh, I, 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 I don't see a great fit. But is she looking for a new job anyway i'm not sure um but uh yeah. that's it too also like yeah. she's been leader of the alberta, alberta ndp since 2014 mm. 10 years and if you try to run to be the leader of another party you're at least signing up for a couple terms right like that should be the uh, <laughs> understanding that you're there for at least two elections yeah not just one, which means you're talking four, five, six years for, for Rachel Notley. I, I can't imagine that she would want. And does she really represent the federal NDP anymore? Um, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think that that party's membership, which is much further to the left than the Alberta NDP is, um, you know, I don't see that fit very well. Uh, so, yeah, that's the thing. There is that would, whenever that race happens, and it'll eventually happen. Could be in five years. Could be in a year. Who knows? Yeah, uh, it will be an interesting one because don't know where it's going to go, Open and the field. party kind of also needs to decide where it's going to go. Yeah. So we'll 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 keep Danny. We'll we'll re ask this question after the next federal ballot for sure. Yeah. Um. So Ali Gersoy on the Discord asked uh, which elections outside of Canada. On your watch in 2024. Uh, there well, might be one that we both have on our Well, <laughs> I think the obvious answer, of course, is the presidential election in the, well, the Senate and the, the House in the United States. Uh, but if we go outside of that, I, I'm going to sound so ignorant here because I don't, I, I don't have time to follow world politics that much. I read the news. I just don't follow elections. The UK is in 24, right? Am I yeah. wrong about this? Well, probably, probably in twenty. Most likely, yeah. yeah. So that that would be. It. I think they could call it in early twenty twenty five, but okay. there was uh, Rishi Sunak signaled he would call it in twenty four. Yeah, that would be it for me. Uh, I followed the French presidential election. It's not for now. So, uh, what about you? What do you follow? Yeah, I think the UK one is the only one that really comes to mind, and uh, I, I think UK elections are actually really interesting to follow because. They use the same system as we do, uh, Westminster first-past-the-post kind of system. And their party system is also kind of similar, right? Because they have a conservative party, they have the Labour Party, which, you know, in terms of its its role would fill the role of the Liberals. You have the Liberal Democrats, who are that third party, kind of like the NDP, though the Liberal Democrats are actually centrist. Um, you have the regional parties with the Scottish Nationalist Party yeah. and uh, Plaid Cymru uh, in Wales. Uh, and now you have this new reform party, I think it's, is the name of it, right? Which is sort of this Brexit-ish 
I guess it would be like the PPC. I don't know, but it is. I find those those similarities interesting when you can find other uh, other countries that have similar party systems and see how it breaks down. Um, and I know that the conservatives, the federal conservatives here, uh, certainly have a lot of relationships with the UK conservatives, right? That they um, sometimes use some of the same advisors or they've had some British advisors come to Canada before. And and so I think there is a lot of affinity between those two parties. So they do kind of watch what's going to happen over there. Um, so that'll be a really interesting one, though. It looks like it'll be a walk for Labour, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, my favorite thing about British elections, I, I probably mentioned this before, is the way they re- re- release the results. It's not a count that that goes on during the night. They only release the full counted results once all the ballots are counted in a riding. And so they, you know, the polls close at, you know, nighttime. And then they only start to get their first results early in the morning the next day because they wait till every single ballot is counted in a ballot in a riding before they announce it. And so the election night show is really fun because it's like eight hours, 10 hours and I always, uh, when there, whenever there's a British election, the next morning I wake up, I turn on the TV, and they're still counting, and, and you know they, they got the shots of Westminster and, and all this, and it's really interesting. And then when they announce the results, that is what's most fun, is that they get all the candidates to go to the same place. Oh. They get them all on the same stage, and then the returning officer goes through it all and says how many votes each candidate got. And what I think is terrific about this is that it is a real leveler. Because even in the prime minister's riding, he has to go up on that stage wearing a little um, a little badge that he has, a little colored uh, uh, <laughs> ribbon that they all have. And what always happens is that in the prime minister's riding, there's always joke candidates. Uh, so there was Lord Buckethead, you know, before the <laughs> candidates for the the what's it called the loony, the raving mad loony party, or the uh, anyway. And so you have. Someone who's dressed as Darth Vader with a bucket on his head standing next to the prime minister. And I just think that's really humbling. It should be for these leaders. And I go back to just, uh, I probably said this story like five times on this, uh, on my various podcasts, but when Nick Clegg lost, so Nick Clegg was the leader of the Liberal Democrats. He was a, a coalition member with the David Cameron government. When he lost his seat, I can't remember which election it was, but he gave this really uh, heartfelt speech because he was leaving politics. And then behind him was a man who looked also very moved with the speech that Nick Clegg was giving, and he was wearing a Dorito costume. And I just thought that was that was how it, <laughs> politics should be. So I enjoyed that. Uh, I have to say, I so no partial results, huh? Uh, I like no, partial. I they like do to, a, an I exit like poll, and then they talk about the exit poll. Yeah. But yeah, I know. But... I don't know. They got to fill time for that much time. Um, wow. Okay. So, yeah. um, that would be that would I would prefer to be at home than on the set of TV that night, uh, if that was the case. Uh, yeah. Because oh, that's a long night. Anyway. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> um. How about uh, do you want to move on to the quiz? You know what? Um. Yeah, I do. Okay. Okay. Um. Well, for those who uh, are aware. Listen to our last episode. Uh, I did not perform well <laughs> in Eric's quiz. Uh, I missed an obvious answer. I can't believe I missed a 44 Saskatchewan election because in my count, I it, it didn't make sense. I was just trying to count the years and it didn't make sense. And yes, it was Tommy Douglas. I, 
I know who Tommy Douglas is. I received some flack for, for missing that. But thing is, Eric gave me a really, a really hard quiz. So I figured wow. it's not going to be a revenge quiz, but we're going to kick it up a notch here, my friend. Okay. So I'm going to throw you a bone, however, and this is going to be about one of your favorite elections that you told me. It's going to be the oh, no. 1921 <laughs> federal election. And so let me just okay. pull up my sheet here. Okay. So I have uh, nine writings from the 1921 oh, federal God. elections. And you have to tell me. This is a revenge. Won. This well, is revenge. Hey. I do not know the riding results in 1921. Well, I'll give it a shot. Okay. <laughs> so there's nine of them. Uh, to win, you need uh, seven or higher. Because oh, since geez. there are not that many parties, so there's there's luck involved. It's like, you know, winning at the, the heads or tail. There's 50% chance you win. So is that nine? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, I have nine. Okay. So you have to get seven of them right. Are you ready, my friend? Okay. Sure. Okay. Let's do it. 1921 federal election. This is this is a deep, deep <laughs> cut. I gotta say. <laughs> Boy. Right. Which party won the Glen Gary and Stormont riding in Ontario? Where you lived for a while. Uh yeah, well, I, I guess so. I, I don't know what the boundaries are. The, I lived in Glengarry Prescott Russell, but I don't know if Glengarry is it's close at, it's, at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, oh, jeez. I don't know. I'm going to guess that that was the Conservatives. Um, that part of Ontario, I think, used to vote for the Conservatives. You are wrong, my friend. It was the Progressives oh, no. that won. Oh, the Progressives won that That's seat. That's right. Okay, so or for one. There's no chance I'm. I'm uh, <laughs> if it is a fifty-fifty, you needed to give me at least like five or six that I could get. But anyway, <laughs> we're going into Nova Scotia in the 1921 federal election. Eric, who won Lunenburg? I'm going to guess that it was the Liberals who won in Lunenburg in 1921. Are you sure? Yes. It was the Liberals. Okay. Okay. All right. Of course it was. Yes. <laughs> Just outside of Halifax. Beautiful place. All right. The writing of Charlotte in New Brunswick. Who won hmm. Charlotte in New Brunswick? Okay, uh, I guess I should try to think about this a bit. So, yeah, you so should. We're talking about the 1920s. <laughs> 1921, this was the election where Mackenzie King and the Liberals came in. They defeated Arthur Meehan and the Conservatives. That's the Progressives right. won a lot of seats. Um, now, in New Brunswick in 1921, the government, I think, would have been. They had nonpartisan governments until 1935. Uh, wow. In Charlotte, which is would be in southern. New Brunswick, which tends to be conservative. So I'm going to say it was conservatives. And it was the conservatives. Good for you. You are yes. two out of three. Good luck. Good job, man. All right. Writing. I'll try to provide a bit more context. We are going into Quebec, which, you know, at the time was pretty red, right? But we're going yeah. into Chambly-Verchères. Chambly-Verchères, the south shore of Montreal. Chambly-Verchères. Who won that writing in 1921. Okay, so uh, the Conservatives were very unpopular in Quebec after the conscription crisis in 1917. Uh, so I don't think it would, the Conservatives would have won a seat like Chambly. I think the only seats they won in, in Quebec were like West Island seats at the time. 
So I would think it would be the liberals, but uh, but I'm also worried that uh, you're choosing like an independent liberal or something like that at the time. Uh, I don't think the progressives would have won any seats in Quebec at the time. But I'm going to just go with the odds and say that it was a liberal because the liberals probably won almost all the seats in Quebec. They absolutely did. And so the liberals is the right answer. Three out of four for you. Good job, man. Okay. We're going into Ontario. Back to Ontario. Which party won the writing of Toronto South? Toronto South. Okay. Uh, contrary to what it is now, Toronto <laughs> used to be very conservative. They called it Tory Toronto. Um, the Liberals used to actually do quite well in the in the rural areas, southwest. Now the Progressives did well in Ontario. Um, they might have been United Farmers or ran under that banner, but they don't. They didn't win urban seats. I don't think. I don't think Labour would have won any seats like that in, in Toronto South. So I'm going to say it was the Conservatives who won Toronto South. And it was the Conservatives, Eric. So four out of five, you're doing super well. This is too easy, man. I All right. Sh- All right. We're, we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for the, the, the precise vote count next time. Okay. Yeah. We had like 2024. <laughs> no, it was 2025. Sorry. Anyway. All right. We're going into uh, more a little more to the south in Ontario. Uh, you may know the writing of Welland. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, but Welland is a small city in the Niagara region. Hmm. There I'm going to say was the progressives. Um, yeah, the United Farmers, they won the election in 1919. And I think they won seats like Welland. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it was the progressives who won in Welland. It was the liberals. Sorry about ah. that. So you have five out of seven. Is that right? No, you have uh, four out of six. Sorry, four out of six. Okay. Oh boy, I don't have. I can't get any more wrong. Uh, that's right. Oh, it's, what? On the table. It, 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 the quiz. The quiz is tough. It's that's a strange one. Okay, we're <laughs> we're we're staying in Ontario. Who won okay. the riding of Hamilton East? Okay. Now I'm starting to think that that is one of the seats that maybe a Labour candidate won. Uh, did they win seats in 1921? I'm going to say that they did. And I'm gonna, I think that they might have won a seat like Hamilton East. So I'm going to say it was uh, a Labour candidate. Now, I don't know if it was the Independent Labour or a Socialist or one of those names, but I'm going to say it was a Labour candidate. It was a Conservative uh, in the Hamilton oh, East. No. Um, so... Uh, I, I know that's that's pretty bad, Eric. I uh, you should rethink. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who are for those who are just listening and not watching this, I have a smirk on my face. Don't worry, it's a, I'm not shaming Eric. Uh, He's being mean. We're going out west, so um, uh, okay. The eighth one, Winnipeg Center. Which party won Winnipeg Center? Okay, there I'm pretty sure it was a Labour candidate because uh, they had the, the general strike in 1919 uh, and Labour, I'm pretty sure, won Winnipeg Centre. Uh, so I'm going to say it was Labour. And you are correct. This is your fifth one out of eight. So if you get the next one, they'll have two-thirds right. So uh, that would be that would be respectable. Last one. Who won Regina? And there was only Ron White writing called Regina. No, no Regina East or Regina West. It was just Regina. Hmm. In Saskatchewan, uh, of course. In Saskatchewan, of course. Of course. 
Canadians. The progressives won a lot of seats in Western Canada. They won enough that they uh, finished second and opted not to form the official opposition because uh, that is how they rolled. They didn't want to be part of the establishment. So the conservatives, despite finishing third, formed the official opposition after 1921. The liberals used to do so well in Saskatchewan. They like dominated that province. Uh, they governed it um, for the first like 25 years. But I, the progressives had to win some seats, and, and you haven't given me enough. Now I'm playing the quiz master. Game, so <laughs> I'll say it's the progressives. I'll say the progressives won in Regina. I looked at the map, Eric, and the progressives pretty much won all the seats in Saskatchewan except Regina. It was the liberals. <sighs> so the city that rhymes with fun. And so, Eric, mm. I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed in you. I think I did pretty good for 1921 <laughs> riding results. Jeez. I'm sorry. <laughs> this, okay, I have to admit, this was maybe a little bit of a re- revenge quiz. A little bit. Oh, but, just uh, a bit. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But I that, think I did okay. You did fine, my friend. You did fine, my friend. Mm. I, I, did, I did learn a lot by going through those maps. Um, but... Uh, I, you know, we'll we'll do more of these of these uh, who won this riding in what year. But I figured, you know what, 1921 is a good year for Eric. Let's do this. Uh, and you did you did okay. Uh, there are some weird results in there. It's 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 insane how in one century a country has changed so much. But anyway, yeah, good job, Eric. Well, that's why I like that election um, because you had the progressives come in, uh, changing the party system a little bit, shaking things up. Uh, but I can't say that I've poured over the electoral map of the 1921 election. So I'm going to take it as a win that I got a majority correct. So uh, congratulations to me. Number of the week. Do you want to go first? I think you should go first. I have a good one. All right. Okay. Uh, well, it's it's not very original, but uh, I, I look at the, the 33% that the bloc has in Quebec, according to Abacus, and it strikes a chord, meaning that there are they, they are in first place. The Black Québécois is in first place in Quebec, according to several polls, except for Nanos. That, that still has the Liberals in front. It's just that there's no growth there. The Black Québécois has not uh, benefited from the rise of the Parti Québécois in the in provincially. Hmm. Parti Québécois has basically doubled their support since the uh, election in 2022. They went from 15% of the vote in the election and now... The two polls that we had was 30 and 31 percent in Quebec. But the Bloc Québécois has not moved. They're in first place because there's a split on the other side. But the Bloc Québécois has not been able to benefit from that. So I find it interesting and something that I will follow in 2024. All right. That's a good one. Uh, For me, my number is 15. So this was the point differential in the net approval of uh, liberal and conservative voters for the Treaty of Algeron. <laughs> so, I've talked about this before. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, and uh, Dan Arnold has talked about it before in my past podcast, that one of the questions that he would do when he was doing polling for the federal liberals and the uh, federal government when he was working with the PMO was that he would include a question on people's support and knowledge of the Treaty of Algeron. Now, the Treaty of Algeron is not a real treaty. It's a fictional treaty between the United Federation of Planets and the Romulan Empire from Star Trek. 
So he would ask people if they had heard about it, if they were aware of it, and then what their views on it were. So he included it in one of his recent polls on stories from 2023. And he had found that 20% of Canadians said that either they had actively searched for this, and he didn't, it, it was worded as, did you hear about the government of Canada signing the Treaty of Algeron? Oh, God. He had 20% of people who said they actively searched for it. That was only like 1%. There was, I can't remember how many, maybe like 5% who said they had heard a lot about it. And then there was 15% who said that they had heard, they had heard of it, of, of this happening. So 20% of Canadians said that they had heard about the government of Canada signing this fictional treaty <sighs> from Star Trek. Yeah. So that just shows there are always going to be some people who will say they've heard about something, they have an opinion about something, even when it's not a real thing. What was really interesting about it was that, they, that he then asked, do you approve of the government of Canada signing the Treaty of Algeron? Oh, God. Now, the government of Canada is currently a liberal government. Liberals were more supportive of this treaty than conservatives who had net negative views. There was a 15-point difference between the net views of liberals and conservatives on the government of Canada signing this fake treaty. So, my... Take away from this, first of all, you can always expect that a certain amount of people responding to a poll will just say yes to whatever it is. They don't really know what they're talking about. But also that whenever you see any poll that is asking, what is your view on this issue? If it is ever in any way framed in the partisan framing in terms of the government, the liberals, the conservatives, you will have people who will just reflexively say they do not like it because it was a liberal government who did it or they do not like it because it was a conservative uh, party who said this or whatever. So it just shows you that you have to always assume that that partisanship is going to drive things more than people's actual views on an issue. Not entirely, but a bit. A little bit around the edges. Some people will just reflexively say anything that my team does is good. Anything that the other team does is bad, even when it's a fake treaty from Star Trek. Tip of the hat to Dan Arnold. I say seriously, though. But I also wonder... Who, what was the fraction of people who actually knew it was crap? Actually knew it was a trick? Because, Star, <laughs> I mean, Star Trek is a big franchise. There are a lot of Star Trek fans. I'm not sure if it's a, a sizable fraction of the population. But perhaps there were some people like, wait a second, this is not a real treaty. This is from Star Trek. <laughs> I want to know the, those results. Maybe we'll have a chat with Dan at some point, but that's very interesting. Yeah, and I also <laughs> wonder if he asked that at the end because if if I got that question, I would be like, that's not a real thing. I know what that is. So it would make me it would start to make me question every single thing that exactly. Come so I'm oh, wondering that's really where funny. he put it in there. Love it. Yeah, that was good. All right, so uh, that'll be it for uh, this week's episode of the numbers. Uh, and as we say at the end of every episode, we do uh, bonus episodes every second week. So next week we'll have one that's just for our patrons. And you can join our Patreon at thenumberspod.ca for as little as $5 a month. You get app access to those episodes. You get early access. We put out these episodes on Thursdays for our members. They go out to everybody else on Friday. And you can take part in our Discord, which has been a fun place for people oh, to yeah. chat about politics. Uh, and and with with um, with with uh, good intentions, good good yeah. good feelings. It's there's not a there's not partisanship there. It's 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 really good. So and a variety uh, of opinions too. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And and as I mentioned, lots of electoral reform enthusiasts. So we'll we'll have a special <laughs> uh, focus on that for them next week. So Philip, thanks very much for joining me again this week, and uh, we'll see you next week. And and enjoy Ottawa. I, I will absolutely. Merci beaucoup, Eric, and thank you very much, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>